His name, Jesus. Let's turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. The Apostle Peter, in his famous message, after the man was healed at the beautiful gate, and they were marveled at, how is this man healed? And he turned around and he says, There is no other name given to us whereby we can call upon and be saved. So there's something powerful and unique. There's something majestic. There's something that is heavenly about the name Jesus. When we speak of his name, there should be a reverence and there should be an awe. When we hear his name, it should command our attention. What is so distinctive about this name, the name of Jesus, that's been given to mankind? Why this name unlike any other names? What is this name that commands so much attention, even from his friends and his foes? Why is his name has not faded away for 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years? Kings, rulers, presidents, commoners, people, when they hear this name, bow their hearts. And yet, some Christians, we neglect this name. To answer these questions, we must know who this man Jesus is. Our knowledge of Jesus leads to the discovery of who he was, who is he is to us. As we come closer to the light, we know who this man is, who Jesus is. He is not some distant God that we call and be saved, but he incarnate, he took on flesh, he is here with us so that he can save us from within. And she shall bring forth a son. God didn't respond to our sin. God had a plan in the beginning, before Adam sinned. He predestined Adam to sin because his plan was to send Jesus. God had a plan to save mankind. He has a plan to be with us. And so he predestined Adam to sin so that Jesus would come. Adam is the shadow and Jesus is the person. So God did not respond when we sin, but he prepared Jesus to come. And if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Jesus was promised before the foundation of the world. When Adam sinned, God already had a plan for our salvation through Jesus Christ. The Savior would come from the seed of the woman. And therefore, when you read in this verse, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Talking about the prophecy that God has prepared in the beginning. The question is, why? Why couldn't God just save us without sending Jesus? In heaven, just save us without sending Jesus? The answer is, yes, he could save us. That was not his plan. There are other legal implications that we went over past two sermons, but Jesus must incarnate. Jesus has to be incarnate so that salvation would be legal. Salvation is actually a legal enterprise here because we broke the law, therefore we violate, and it has to be done legally. And therefore Jesus has to be incarnate. God's plan from the beginning has been to show himself to us. That's his plan. He wants to have a relationship with us. Do you have a problem? And you come to the king and you ask the king for help. 
And the king said, sure, I'll help you. I will send my servant to your house and fix whatever problem you have. What if the king says, I will help you. I will come to you. I will come to your house and I will solve the issues that you have. He was not, it was not his intent to just make things go away. His intent is to be with you. His intent is to come to us. His intent is to be there in the presence, in his presence with us. So his intention has always been in the beginning was not to erase Adam's sin, but to be with us. And that is why Jesus Christ has to incarnate, has to become flesh. God cannot come to sinners, and therefore he has to be born a person, a man. So the only way for God to be with us is to be born. But he cannot be born of the seed of Adam because Adam sinned. So the promise came from the seed of the woman. And she conceived and bore a child. And she delivered Jesus. It was through this seed and the seed was the seed of promise. It was not the seed that is the union between a man and a woman. This seed was in the, the woman since the beginning of creation. This seed is a pure undefiled seed. And therefore, when Jesus was born, he had no sin of his own so that he can be God in our midst. God made this promise of the Savior was based on his love for us, not just to erase our sin. He loves us. He wants to be here with us. He wants to come to us. Jesus sacrificed for us to show us that he loves us. You see, God could save us from afar, but the fact that he comes to us he was there with us, and then he gave himself as a sacrifice to us to prove to you that he loves you. Why do we go and visit people? Why do we come to funeral? Why are we there in, in our presence there? Can we just send a card? Can we just send flowers? Why do we have to be there in person? Is to show them we love them, we care for them. Why can't we just be home and think about the church. Why do we have to come here? Because we care about the people here. All presents here say that we love you. Yeah, I love you. This morning I, I was sleeping and I hear the rain. The rain was part of my sleep, actually. It was so comforting. And then at four o'clock I got up and I thought the two things in my head. Number one, I wonder if uh, the church is leaking because it was raining so hard. And number two, I wonder if anyone's gonna come because of the rain. Being in the flesh with someone tells them that you care. That they mean something more than just your thoughts. Your presence there speak louder. And that's why Jesus came. He was, he's there in the flesh to tell us that he really cares for us. God cares for you and I. And that's why he came. Jesus was God's plan for us to see him. See, we cannot see God, but we can see a perfect man. Jesus incarnate as a perfect man, therefore we can see God. Now one of the names of Jesus was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The reason why is that God wants us to see him. And we cannot see God in fallen humanity. We cannot see God in people who have sinned. We can only see God in Jesus Christ who has not sinned. And therefore God was born through the virgin birth, through the Holy Spirit, and we can see as we see Jesus, we see God in the flesh. Think about someone you love. If you never see them, you grow distant from them. You don't know them anymore. In the beginning, it was hard, but then over time, it gets easier. 
And now, without seeing the person for a long time, I don't mind not seeing the person. It doesn't bother me anymore. God wants us to see him. God wants us, human, to see him. And therefore, he incarnate. He became flesh so that we can see him. But you're sitting there and you say, but Jesus isn't here anymore. So how can we see him? Well, we can see him. We see him in his body, the church. We see him through each other. The likeness of Jesus that exhibits through every person who strives to be like Jesus Christ is Jesus that we can see and behold. Jesus said to Philip, He that hath seen me has seen the Father. You see, we see Jesus through his body. We are his body. He is the head. The things that we do in the church, the thing that we do in the body of Jesus Christ, and also in the physical church, reflects who Jesus is. And we should be like Jesus. We should resemble, because people see us. They not only see, hear us, but they see us. The things that we do, the things that we say, how we interact when no one is looking, that's how they see Jesus, or not. So our reflection of Jesus is how people see Jesus, and that is why and that was why he was incarnate. Son of man. And she shall bring forth a son. Why? The son of man. Sin separates us from God. God can't forgive us from heaven without coming. Can God forgive us from heaven without coming into the world? If God is all-powerful, why not simply forgive us? Why God must send both the Holy Spirit and the Word to be incarnate in a form of a man. First, so that we can worship him, but we don't know who to worship and how to worship. And some of you might say, why do we worship? You don't have to if you want to live a miserable life. You don't have to worship. You have to praise. But why do we worship? Why do we worship anything? Because we're happy. We worship when we're happy, don't we? You sing when you're happy. So worship is an expression of joy. When you go to a game and you see your team play and your team win, what do you do? You celebrate. You celebrate. And that celebration is an expression of joy. Worship is an expression of joy when we are in Christ, in God. We worship because God brings us through Christ happiness. And through that joy, we celebrate. We sing, we praise, we have our being in Christ. We worship when we love. Well, some of us worship the wrong things. We worship our wives, we worship our husband, we worship our kids, whatever they want to do. We worship our cars sometimes. We worship the material things in our lives. We worship our sport teams. We worship all kinds of stuff. Our school, our education, our intellect, our job. We worship a lot of things. And some of us even worship the social media feed. We spent countless time scrolling over it. Why? We love it. Worship is the form and act of something that we love. God introduced to us a new object of worship, a new subject of worship. And we need to see him. And that is why Jesus has to become become flesh. God's desire for us is not to be consumed by misery or grief because of our sin, but he wants us to be liberated from our sin to tell us that sin is not God's original design. Sin is what we have inherited, but God's design has been in Jesus Christ to liberate us from sin. And now we can be happy 
in Jesus Christ. We can have our being. We can have our worship in Christ. Jesus set us free by offering himself in our place so that we no longer need to be in the tyranny of sin and misery. Secondly, Jesus has to become a man because he needs to be the priest. He needs to be between man and God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus had to be a man because we cannot have a priest who is a God. We cannot be reconciled to God. God is God and we are men. We cannot be reconciled to God unless we have a, a priest. And we cannot have a priest who is a God. We have to have a priest who is a man. And Jesus Christ is the high priest and he is a man because he was born as a man. So he became our high priest. Being a man, he can take our offering and offer to God. And being also a God, he can then communicate with us. So Jesus Christ being both man, high priest, and God, he can communicate both divine expression and human expression to God. So Jesus must be born son of man because he needs to advocate for us. We cannot approach God, we can approach Jesus Christ as the Son of Man, and Jesus Christ advocate for us as the Son of God. Number three, his name, Jesus. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus was the Word of God. He was the Word that God spoke and creation was made. If you think about the Trinity, there are three parts to the Trinity. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the origin of all things. Everything comes from God the Father. He is distinctive in that the Son proceeds from the Father and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. Now, what is the role, the Word of God, or the Son? The Son is the expressions of God's thought and God's intellect. The Word of God is God's intellect. And when God spoke, it was the word that formed all of creation. That is the role of Jesus Christ. He was God's intellect, the Trinity's intellect. What is the role of the Holy Spirit then? The Spirit is the love of God. Or the Spirit is the person who communicates God to his creation. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in the Trinity, They all, each one of them have different roles. The origin, the intellect, and the love. So when we talk about Jesus, we are saying that this creative God who was there in the creation became a man in the midst of creation. Before we know him as Jesus, we know him as the word of God, the same word that spoke and creation was made. And all things that we can see, that we can understand, it is Jesus. And all things beyond the realm of our knowledge is also Jesus. Before the incarnation, the word of God, the form of a man, in the form of a man, he was given a name. The name Jesus was given to him before he was born. It was not given by man. It was given by God. You shall call his name Jesus. So Mary and Joseph, they were not to name their own child. This child was named by God because God has ordained Jesus to be born. At this time, in this season, Jesus was revealed, the revelation of God. 
All relationships begin with knowing a person's name. I work on the second floor, and there are four companies. There is the biggest company there, a lot of people. We are the smallest company, we only have four people. I know everyone, I know everyone's name in the other three companies, the smaller ones, but the biggest company there, I don't know anyone's name, maybe one person. Now, I interact with a lot of them. We say hi, hello to each other. When we see each other in the hallway, get coffee, I never ask them their name. They never ask me my name. Sometimes we talk at length, but we never ask each other's name. The reason is, I don't want to have a relationship with them. Once you know someone's name, then a relationship begins. But if you don't know their name, you don't have to stop and talk. Just say hi and goodbye. All relationships begin with knowing a name. So if you and I, if you ever meet me and I never ask you your name, you know I don't want to have a relationship with you. We just, we just be at a distance. But all relationships begin with knowing someone's name. God's plan was for us to know him and therefore to give us his name so that we can have a relationship with him. So the name Jesus, the fact that we have the name of Jesus means that God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to know his name. Not just to have our sins forgiven. Now, we need to have our sins forgiven. That needs to happen first. But that's not God's plan. God, God's plan is to have a relationship with you. But God cannot have a, a relationship with you unless you are righteous before Him. The name for salvation. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. The definition of the name Jesus means the Lord saves. The word Lord here, it is the name that was given to Moses when he asked the burning bush, what should I tell the children of Israel who sent me? And God in that burning bush says, I am the I am. The Jewish tradition dare not to speak about anymore. That name is shortened to Adonai so that they can say Adonai in, in place of saying the name that was given to Moses. And in the English translation of that name, Adonai, it is spelled in some of the Bibles, in the King James, it's spelled all caps, L-O-R-D, Lord. It is the same definition in the name Jesus, is that definition, the Lord, the I am, saves. So Jesus Christ is God's salvation. It's built into his name that God will save. This is God's message to us or anyone who knows how to spell can enunciate the word Jesus, but it has no power. So it's not the, the fact that you can say the name Jesus, and because you say the name Jesus, that carries with it some kind of power. No, it doesn't. Even some Christian say the name Jesus and it has no meaning at all. The name Jesus, when it is spoken properly, in the right context, in the right state of being, has power to save. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? A stranger who calls your name, does it have the same effect as if someone you know, like your mother, called your name? It doesn't have the same effect. So someone who doesn't know you, call your name, has no effect. Maybe you can be irritated about it. How dare you call my name? But someone who you know, call your name, you turn to them with affection. The name of Jesus was given to us for those who know him. When we call upon his name, when we know him, and when we call on his name, he turns to us with love and affection. But when a stranger calls his name, 
the Bible tells you there are a couple of stories in the Bible. When the son of Sceva, they went out and they say, in the name of Paul, in the name of Jesus, and the devil says, Jesus I know, we know. Paul we know, but you, we don't know. Call on the name of Jesus. You need to know him. He needs to know you. And there's another story. Lord, wasn't in your name we cast out demons and heal the sick? And Jesus' response to them was, depart from me. I never knew you. The relationship needs to come before we can call on the name of Jesus to be saved. The difference between the effectiveness of when you call the name of Jesus is the relationship between the caller and the callee, who is Jesus. The root of the word call derived from the word that means to invoke in worship. When you call on the name of Jesus, it has to be in the context of worship. Now, you can be in despair and you can call on the name of Jesus and he will answer, but it has to be in reverence and in worship. To have the authority to call on the name of Jesus because you have been called by him, selected by him before all creation. When you call on Jesus' name, you will be saved. Who can call on Jesus' name? And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. Who can call on the name of Jesus? His people. Jesus' purpose is in his name. His name means the Lord saves. Jesus is the truth and will live and die according to his, his name. And that's what he did. He was born to show us God and he died to show us God's love for us. His name is who he claimed to be. He complete without fail his mission to save us. But then you look and you say, well, I see a lot of people go to hell. Oh, I think they go to hell. Did Jesus fail? Was Jesus' mission to save fail? If he said, he's the Lord who saves, then how come we know that there are people in hell? How can you explain this? Well, there are two ways to explain this. Number one, how do you know that there are people in hell? Have you been there? And number two, which I believe is the answer that comes from this verse right here. He shall save his people. What does that mean? The announcement of Jesus' birth to the Jewish virgin implicated that salvation was to the nation of Israel. He's a save his people. So the Jews can read this and said, his people are the Jews. But then you know the Jews rejected him, didn't they? Or some of them, not all of them. So what does it mean by his people? History will tell you that there are a lot of people who reject Jesus. A lot of people go to, went to their grave rejecting, claiming to be atheists or anti-theists. What does it mean, his people, in this context? This is what the Apostle Paul says, Romans chapter 3, verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. We read this passage in verse 21 here. His people means everyone, but everyone is not saved. Like I said, we don't know that. We can hope that everyone is saved, but we see the evidence that some are not saved. So I would say that God has already determined whom he would save since the beginning of creation. Israel was called God's people according to the law given to Moses. 
If they do the law, they will be his people and he shall be their God. The law of the Old Testament was a shadow pointing to the New Testament. It is not the end. It is what's pointing to the New Testament. And the New Testament is God's intention. And what is the New Testament intention? To show you Jesus Christ, the end and the fulfillment of the law. And that is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and became the end of the law. And he was there to save all people. When you say his people, it means the whole human race. That is why Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament type, which is those who God has called. Remember, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were called not to be a special people to God, and that's it. But they were called to be a special people to God, to be a blessing to all nations. Blessing to all nations. That's what they were called. God never said that God was a God to the Israelites only, but they were the chosen people. They point to the time of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, fulfilled the law that was required by Moses, and now he is the savior of the world. This is the good news. That everyone, yes, even you and I, the Gentiles, can be called the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who are his people? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The people of God, the people that belong to Jesus Christ was called before the creation of the world. We have been chosen before the world was began. To be what? Holy, without blame, before him in love. That's who we should be. So in effect, you can say this. Who are the people of God? The people that Christ has chosen to be his people are the people who are holy. The people who are blameless. The people who are in love. Those are the people of God. Am I one of those people? You listen to this message today. You might ask the question, am I what Christ has chosen to be his people? I can't answer that. Maybe you can't answer that. But it's clear that you can see here the, the typical or the, the type that person is, is that that person is holy without blame and in love. But what you do know is that you hear the gospel today. You hear the word of God today. Now you have the knowledge. It's given you the knowledge of God's salvation through Jesus. Is it up to you and I to believe? Our faith in Jesus Christ makes us his people. That is the question. Now, let me put it this way. Let's say you are not God's people. You're not Christ's people. And you're sitting there and you hear this gospel today. And you say, I want to be Christ's people. Can I just believe that and be Christ's people? No, you can't. Let me tell you what, how Paul explains it. Salvation is God's work alone. It's not our work. If salvation is your work, is our work, there are two places that you can go. Number one, you should go to a Methodist church. If salvation is synergetic between you and God, then go to a Methodist church. That's what their doctrine uh, or their theology leads them, not in this church. Another place that you can go, and I actually recommend this for you to go more than the Methodist church, go to a Catholic church. That's also their theology. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Wherefore, I give you to understand. And now Paul says, I want you to understand this. 
Salvation comes first when we understand. When we understand. And how do you understand? Because there are people who are sitting in this room who listens, who hears things, but never understand. Because you don't pay attention. Or I would say it's not because you don't pay attention. It has never given to you the grace to understand. Because I believe it is the work of God. It's not the work of man. So if you are not listening, nothing comes into your mind, you have not been given the grace to understand. That's my theology. It's not that you don't have the capacity to. It's not you haven't been given the capacity to. That no man can say Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Ghost. The only way for you to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, not because I baptized you in that baptismal there, because you say that you believe, and I have an obligation to believe what you say, and I baptize you. But unless the Holy Spirit works in you, and the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and unless God works in you, you cannot confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no way. So you see, it is not that you have an ability to call on the name of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit working in us. Is the Holy Spirit cause you to call out to the name of Jesus? If not, then you haven't been given the grace to call on the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit isn't convicting you. We are the people of the Lord Jesus Christ through being born again by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born, conceived by the Virgin Mary, and her conception came from the Holy Spirit. So for us to be born again, we must be born by the Spirit. And no one is born of the Spirit. They cannot call the name of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit in us that gives us that unction to call on the name of Jesus. And we say with sincerity and with conviction, Jesus is my Lord. Can you say that? Can you imagine yourself say that? That Jesus is my Lord and Savior. You see, that conviction, that conviction there is the Holy Spirit. If you can't say that with conviction and you say, say that with some kind of shame or force or coercion, it's not the Holy Spirit. You have not been born again. What did he do? Last part of this verse. For he shall save his people from their sins. From their sins. Not out of sin, but from their sins. Let me draw the distinction between the two. Jesus became a man not to call us out of sin. Because if he calls us out of sin, then we can go back into sin. The same way that Moses led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, but slavery never came out of them. Egypt never came out of the people. Jesus did the work that is unlike any, anyone has done before in history. We would only need to hear the voice of Jesus to be delivered. Unfortunately, there are many voices in the world, the Apostle Paul says. In life, we are prone to listen to many things. You might be sitting in this church, you might be hearing my voice, but you're not listening to it. You might be hearing other things, your kids calling. You know, things are going on at home, on the internet, wherever it is, there are many voices. We are delivered by simply by the fact that we can hear God's voice, then it's not too secure. It's not very safe. The voice of God was no longer audible when Eve listened to the serpent. In the garden, there was God's voice, thou shalt not eat. And then there was also the serpent voice, it's okay, eat it. Once you eat it, your eyes open, enlightened, then you'll be as God. She listened to the serpent. There are many voices. So it's not the voice that will call you out. This is what he did. Jesus must became flesh to go to the place where we are. He went to the place where sin was. And this is what he did. He led us out 
of sin and then became and took our place in sin for us. That's what he did. You see, you cannot just leave. Who's going to pay for your crimes, for your sins? We can't. Someone has to take our place. And Jesus had to come in the flesh so that he takes you out of sin and then he took your place in sin. Now, if you understand that, how can you not love him? First John 3, 8. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the work of the devil. Sin is the result of the devil's work in us. It's like cancer. Eventually, it will overtake you. Yesterday, I was out there cleaning up the trash. And I thought, why? Why do I need to clean up the trash? I picked up 41 packs of cigarettes. All of them, Marlboro. It must be the same person been smoking there in front of the church. And I thought, this is like sin. We can come and pick up the trash, but you can't take sin out of the person. I can't do it. The person has to stop smoking. And how can a person stop sinning? We can try to mask things by cleaning things up, but if the person is filthy on the inside, it will never be cleansed. Jesus' work is not on the outside. He does the work on the inside. And sin is the result of the devil's work. Yes, I will have to continue to clean the church and it continue to be trashed, but you know what? One day, it's over. You see, that is the hope. It's not, this is not always like this. One day, it's over. One day, there will be no trash can. One day, there's, there will be no trash. One day, I'll be with Christ in the heavenly kingdom. One day, all this will end. One day, no more deaths, cancer, sickness. One day, there's no wretchedness that I see. Jesus became flesh to destroy the work of the devil by taking our place as the Son of Man. Jesus took our sins and destroyed it. He led you out of the captivity of the devil. He took your place. And then he took sin on himself. And he took that sin and he went to the cross. And he ended sin there for you. Your sin. Your sin. That those who are in Christ are sinless, accounted as righteousness. But those who are not in Christ still have sin. Because he took your sin, your sin to the cross. His people are truly free from sin. Not just taking out of sin, but sin has been taken out of them forever. They're no longer prone to sin. Now we have a new life in Jesus. And those who believe in him have a new life in Jesus. The life governed not by fear, but the question is, by what? Now that you know that Jesus loves you, the question is, do you love him? We ask for your grace to open our minds to the greatness of the salvation through Jesus Christ. But would you, would you visit 
us and show us, Lord, the two worlds, the one that we are pursuing and the one that you are pursuing us. God, the wretchedness of our daily life has encroached on every aspect of our lives, our family. Have mercy, God, and show us and lead us and deliver us from this present evil world that we may see the joy of salvation, that we would become, your word said, the gospel, not written on the pages, but written in the hearts of men, that they would see the hope of glory in us, that Jesus Christ may truly be manifested through each one of us, the light of the world, the glory of the risen Lord. Help us, Lord, to live our life fully, devoted, sincere, and in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.